Thanks so much for watching Making Healthcare Work for You, different perspectives and empowering solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we're welcomed by Dr. Elizabeth Wallace, who is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics and Psychiatry and Director of the Division of Adolescent Medicine at the Medical University of South Carolina. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Today, we're talking primarily about the clinic that you work with along with, you said, a team of 10 or 11 other people, and you provide mental health services to foster care children. And so I am super excited to hear about this because it's such a unique niche of mental health that you don't talk about, but also a population that just has to have tremendous need. So why don't you tell us just a little bit what you about what you guys do? I am fortunate, yes, to lead a team of, I think, 10 or 11 of us. Um and we run a foster care clinic that provides both primary care and behavioral health care for youth in foster care. Um, we are uh, a collaborative clinic that works with our Department of Social Services in the state. Um, and they also support us to be allowed to do this work in a way that really meets the needs of youth in foster care. We can provide sort of specialized treatment. And so in addition to kind of understanding the medical needs of youth in foster care, we also spend a lot of time um, helping to advocate for access to mental health care services, providing mental health care services, um, and you know, really providing trauma-informed care and getting kids into evidence-based trauma treatments. What are some of the specialized needs that this population has? You mentioned some of them with the trauma-informed care, but there just there have to be a tremendous amount of barriers. You know, getting people is it challenging to get people to come to your clinic? Do you have to see them via telehealth? How does all of that work? Because obviously, you can have a tremendous impact, but you have to get the people there, and you seem to be very good at that. So, well, yeah, no, that? we've we've grown a lot over the last ten years. Um, you know, a lot of the care that we provide is for kids within the tri county area, so Charleston, Dorchester, and Berkeley County. Um, but we actually do provide a lot of care for youth outside those areas, especially when it's a kid who may be, you know, moving placements a lot or, you know, kind of struggling to access the care that they need. Um, most of the care that we do is still in person, um, but we do actually provide a decent amount of um, telemedicine as well. Um, and I think in reference to trauma, I think just understanding um, and having a staff that understands that for these kids who've had, you know, often, usually multiple significant traumas early in life in places that are supposed to be safe. So, you know, home, parents, et cetera, that that has a profound impact on a kid's, you know, development, behavior, mental health, and actually on their, their like physical brain as well. And so, you know, understanding that the way these kids, that kids may respond to something or the behavioral stuff that may um, occur or where this kid is developmentally, all of that stuff is really impacted by trauma. And so we spend a lot of time helping everybody who's involved in that child's care kind of understand that, as well as providing care in a way that gives knowledge to that and kind of thinks about how to manage it appropriately. Elizabeth, it's, it seems to be such an amazing thing that you're doing. Uh, a couple of questions are coming to my mind relatedly. One is that when you mentioned the trauma piece of it, I guess uh, maybe you can clarify for our audience, is it a given that kids who are going through foster care will have trauma? Is that kind of what you're saying? Because 
of the repeated, you know, sort of sort of challenges they've had um, in a place where they should have been safe. And then relatedly, maybe it's a separate question, but it just for, for some reason feels related to me that is this getting worse over the course of the pandemic, kind of what we've been seeing with the rest of society in general? Unfortunately, are these kids now getting having more challenges uh, over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, so um, in terms of trauma, you know, yes, the vast majority of kids in foster care have had not one, but have had multiple traumas, right? And, but the truth is not every kid and not every adult who has a traumatic experience will go on to have PTSD or something like that. Um, they're actually more likely to have other mental health problems like depression or anxiety. Um, but we do know that more trauma is worse generally. And, you know, the vast majority of these kids have symptoms that are related to early life trauma, whether it's, you know, that sort of hyper arousal being on edge all the time, whether it's kind of either vague or very specific memories, nightmares, things like that, as well as their kind of reactivity and things to, to the world around them are, are there almost universally. Now that may be kind of, that may come out in lots of different ways, depending on the age of the child, you know, the background, whatever, um, but the majority of these kids have had, you know, really significant early life events that have shaped, unfortunately, like their world worldview as well as their mental health and sometimes their physical health as well. Um, as far as, you know, getting worse during the pandemic, I think that there was a lot of fear um, and rightly so around, you know, for kids not being in school that's often a place where we may identify that something's wrong, right? So kids being isolated or not in school or trapped at home, the same professionals that are often the frontline folks who kind of identify that something's wrong or the kid discloses that something's wrong, um, we didn't necessarily have those touch points. And so um, I do think that was a significant concern and um, as well as I think for us to getting families into care and continuing care in a setting where, you know, they were worried about COVID and didn't want to get a COVID infection. And so, but realizing that those kids, kids, kids still need to get care. Yeah, it's a, it's a double-edged sword there, you know, in so many ways. And I appreciate how you teased that out. Uh, and yet, you know, and, and maybe for the first part of the answer that you were giving, Elizabeth, I guess it was... I was wondering, these kids at the same time are very resilient, no matter what they've gone through. So they're already coming to you. Obviously, they may be struggling, but at the same time, they're fighting and they're trying to make it. And then you're giving them more such strategies, whether that's intervention or therapy or, or medications. So maybe you can comment on that a little bit. Like, what do you see in terms of the, the kids and their resilience? And how is it that you're fostering that? Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think that, you know, the, the, some of these kids are remarkably resilient. And I don't think that we know all the things that shape how one child may kind of be resilient in one way and another may struggle more if exposed to the same abuse um, or whatever else. But yeah, some of these kids are remarkably resilient. And I often say to people, like, imagine if somebody told you, like, here's a trash bag, you can put three or four outfits in it, and we're going to send you to live somewhere else tonight. Um, and three weeks from now, we may send you to live somewhere else for that night. Um, you know, 
most of us can think about, you know, that sort of situation would not, we would not be at our best. Um, and that that might come out in, you know, irritability or anxiety or whatever else. The other thing that I think is really important to remember is that most of these kids want love and support and caring and, you know, attention to their development. You know, I think that sometimes, and this is not my phrase, but somebody else's, I don't know who, but, you know, a lot of the kids who need the most love and support ask for it in the most unlovable ways. Um, you know, these kids often do things that bother people. So they have behaviors that it can be easy for us to ascribe intent behind, but is often really from a lack of understanding how to cope, you know, dealing with the trauma that they've been exposed to and, and kind of all the various life events. You said that there's a bunch of challenges in terms of actually making a connection sometimes, you know, you have to build trust with these people. And then a poor pointed out that you have the hope sign behind you, which is a recurring theme. And you said humility, which I thought was really an interesting point, not thinking that you know everything about what these kids have gone through. Because as you said, it's hard to imagine being in that situation where you're just thrown into an immediate change unplanned. Most people don't even like traveling for work that often, let alone having being forced to travel and be with new people. So how do you merge all of those things, the hope, the humility, the just trying to make that connection to really be able to make a difference in their lives? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, understand. So it is important to try to understand what a lot of these kids have gone through or understand just how pervasive their trauma is. And also acknowledge that the majority of us, fortunately, don't have that life experience to relate to. Um, you know, I will often say to kids that, you know, adults haven't been trustworthy ever in their life, potentially. And so why would any of us be any different, whether that's a provider or a, or a foster parent or whatever. And so um, I think some of building trust is acknowledging to these kids that they've been through some really difficult stuff and that, you know, they also, and, and being able to, you know, show understanding of some of the things that they have to go through continually, whether it's, you know, placement changes or school changes or whatever else, therapist changes or whatever, um, but also in a way doing that with enough humility that you're not trying to say, you know what they're going through. Cause I have no idea really. And I think, um, you know, as, as doctors, we are often asked to make quick decisions. Um, you know, the assessment of a patient, are they critically ill or not? Are they having a heart attack or not? And I think sometimes along with that goes assessment of, you know, character, intent, whatever else. And I think in, especially with these kids kind of stepping back and making sure that you're not doing that um, and kind of understanding where the behavior comes from um, or where the aggression comes from, mm -hmm. I think are some of the first steps in building trust and building trust with foster families too, that then we can work together on whatever this kid needs. So is there a lot of training then that you have to do, Elizabeth? I guess I can imagine you went through this training when you were doing your residency and then your fellowship and then years of experience, but you've got a great team of people. So are you folks constantly in training with each other in terms of how you deliver this? And, and, and how do you then deliver this to the foster parents to also be doing the same? 
Um, what, what are some of the mechanisms by which you make sure that it happens? Yeah, so I think, you know, my background is pediatrics and um, most of us don't get a tremendous amount of behavioral health training within pediatrics training. Um, and that's a well-described, well-known problem. Um, you know, I think I was fortunate here in that we have an incredibly strong group of psychologists who do work both in research into the impact of trauma and trauma treatment, but also the delivery of trauma um, treatment. And, you know, again, coming at it from the perspective of, you know, I don't know enough about this and I want to know more. Um, and working with that group, I think, really helped all of us um, kind of build our knowledge and skills. I also think that we are a tight knit group that also provides each other with some degree of supervision and feedback. Um, and we're a group that's, again, sort of um, encouraging, but also willing to say to another person, have you thought about or what about if you think about it this way? And um, rather than just assuming we're all experts all the time. You mentioned that the work environment is part of what helps you thrive. And, you know, you really lean on each other like a big network, which is cool. And you said that at MUSD overall, your leaders provide feedback, which is something that I haven't heard many people say. They talk about uh, communication, but don't necessarily specifically phrase it as feedback, which you did to us. And I thought that was unique because it's, you have to be open to get feedback too. That's not fun. So I think it's really, it shows the degree to which you're open-minded and that probably translate or translates to the people that you're serving too, because you have to be open to hear that. And then it also probably makes you more open to hearing that from other people when they're telling you. And then you said flexibility and the ability to run with the ideas and a passionate staff. I mean, it just seems like those are all the things that you do need to thrive because if any of those puzzle pieces were missing, you might not have the results that you do. And so what is it like to be able to be in an, an environment like that and feel safe? I mean, it's really a safe environment for you to practice the way that you feel is the proper way to serve those people. Yeah, I think... Um... I mean, the first thing I would say is, you know, I am often the one that's the spokesperson, but I could not do this work without the staff that I work with. Um, and they are passionate and dedicated and always wanting to improve and, you know, willing to say, hey, you've never had a therapist in this clinic, but I'll try this job and see how it goes and deal with all the many challenges that come with that. Um, I lean on them tremendously. Um and I think that we all, they also make me a better leader, um, especially early on. Um, I think too that, again, sort of having, I've been fortunate with the people that I report to, the leaders that I report to have let me be creative and told me what they need in terms, whether it's money, outcomes, whatever, patient scene, however, but let me kind of figure out what that might look like and how that might work. Um, and I think we could not have built this clinic if it were not for that as well. Yeah, I'm, um, uh, in, in intrigued by the line of questioning, Stephanie, that you were going down, basically that uh, point of feedback, because it is critical in terms of creating a culture where the leaders are willing to give it and uh, the uh, uh, you know the staff are willing to accept it. So that was, I guess, making me think, Elizabeth, are the patients themselves, the children, are they part of the feedback loop at some point as well? I mean, uh, are they brought into it more actively? I guess that we would say 
maybe indirectly as patients, you guys, uh, you're, we're always trying to take our cues from the patients. Uh, but I wonder if within this culture that you're trying to create, is there a more active dynamic of trying to listen more actively to what the patients are saying? No, I think I think there is. I mean, I think, you know, we will we will often joke, but, you know, we have a lot of foster parents who have been doing this for as long as I've been alive and um, they will have no trouble telling us if what we're doing isn't working or what we're doing is impractical or you know, this kid is not thriving in whatever way. Um, we definitely learn a lot from them. And we sometimes also acknowledge that we like need to come together a little bit more. Um, I think that, you know, while we might not solicit formal feedback from our youth that we care for, um, you know, what we do sort of lends itself to its own feedback. So if we have a kid who's struggling to open up or, we're not kind of getting at the root of what's going on, or we're not adequately treating the depression. I think as a group, we often think, okay, let's like break this down and see what we can do better. And see if there's not ever saying, well, this kid just won't talk to me or whatever, but rather thinking about like, is there a way we could do this better? Is there a way that a certain staff member might be a better fit for this kid or whatever it is? Um, and I think that's, you know, recognizing that that we're not going to do it perfectly all the time. Um, and if we mess up, we apologize. And we try to move forward and we ask for them to help us rebuild that trust. Trial and error to try to, you know, not every person is the same. Not every situation is the same. So it's a lot of trying to figure out what it is for that particular person, that specific formula. So are there any things that you've seen as the themes and then in tandem, what is it like when you see these tremendous successes? You said that less 3% or less than 3% of foster care children graduate from college. So what is it like after you figure out whatever it is that helped that one person you think, oh my God, like, wow, we've changed a life. Yeah, I think um, a lot of times the people that impress me the most are the foster parents that are willing to deal with some really difficult behavior and who don't blame that on the kid and keep pushing to get that better. I think those are some of the people that really um, make this work. I don't take these kids home with me. Um, and, you know, they're often families that have been doing this for years and years. Um, or, you know, I'll recognize a family who has never once said, I don't know if this placement is going to work. Um, you know, whether it's crossed their mind, maybe, but they've never said, I don't think this is going to work. Um, and I think for, you know, again, the kids who are willing to be, take the risk to either do therapy with us or trust us enough to talk about what's going on. Um, knowing that we may not be the person that's there in six months because they may be somewhere different. I think those are the kids that, um, again, really push us to be better at what we're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing this. It was really insightful. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, what so inspiring. Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> and thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.